What's up, everybody? This is Rich bringing you another installment of the Reinforced Running Podcast. This week, we have our first OCR-centric podcast. I'm very excited. We have super special guest, Mr. Kirk DeWint. Kirk is fresh off of his sixth place overall elite finish in the U.S. National Series. And Kirk is a super smart dude, excellent trainer, awesome athlete. And the one thing about Kirk is that he lives in... The Midwest, Minnesota specifically. So when it comes time to race specifically for the mountains, he doesn't have a lot of uh, of mountains at his fingertips. So he has to get really creative, and um, he has done just that. So he, so in this episode, we dive deep into how to train for the mountains without the mountains and excel. Um, we cover a wide range of topics as far as volume different specific workouts that you could put in that will help you that will help you get better at not just the mountains but at OCR in general. So I uh, hope you enjoy the podcast. As always, please rate and review um, and subscribe to the podcast to get everything sent right to your feed and check out our run faster guide at reinforcedrunning.com backslash get faster. And with that, here's Kirk. What's up, everybody? This is Rich coming at you another installment of the Reinforced Running Podcast. We have a very special guest today to talk about some uh, mountain training, some OCR-specific stuff. But first, I'm going to say what's up to John. John Williams, what's going on, man? What's going on, Rich? What's going on, my good buddy? Not too much. And our special guest today is Mr. Kirk DeWint. Kirk, what's up, dude? Hello, gentlemen. Thank you for having me today. I was Pleasure just here this weekend. Yeah, man, that was uh, a somewhat good of a time. Would you would you say last weekend was like a good time? I enjoyed myself, other than uh, maybe the the forty five minutes going up the mountain uh, yeah. during our race. Probably the the least enjoyable time of the weekend. Uh, the rest was pretty good. Going down, hanging out, uh, all that was was good. Yeah. Where'd you guys race? Uh, we Where'd... were in Utah. We were north of. Oh, that uh, Utah. North uh, east of Salt Lake City. Okay. I don't know what the mountain's name is. Snow Basin Resort, I believe it was. Snow Basin Resort, Ogden. It was in Ogden. I just looked up what the mountain range was called, but now I forget. And I don't know anything about it because I spent <laughs> like it, 20 hours there. And then interesting. Came Isn't this podcast a little bit about mountains? I mean, it, is. <laughs> it should yeah. be a bit yeah. about mountains. The altitude gets to your head a little bit, you know? <laughs> it's yeah. Brain cells. Makes it a That's a real better. thing. Kirk, Kirk and I were worthless after the race. We had zero brain power, <laughs> couldn't talk, couldn't like, like really form sentences. So yep. I think altitude st- stupidness is a real, that's a real thing. I think that's what is exactly what it's called. Altitude stupidness. If you look <laughs> at the technical term, it's also a physiological term. It's all of the above. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's true. All right. Everybody's learned. Everybody's learned something. So um, Kirk, Kirk and I, we, we met, maybe like two years ago through the obstacle course racing scene. And, you know, we've been doing the U S national series for Spartan race. Right. And, um, so there's about five different races that, uh, take place during the season. And, uh, we just kind of finished up that. So Kirk, your, what was your goal going into the, the season? Uh, my goal, you know, my a goal was to be top five in the Spartan race U S national series when it was all said and done. Um, top five, we have five races. It basically, it's a law of averages. It scores them out. Um, and I finished sixth, so I was one one uh, spot shy of that goal. Um, but that, I would say that would be my goal. Top five. Came close. Top five. Right. So so you're battling. You finished sixth in the nation this year. So um, so you know what's going on. Last year, you were, what, ninth, you said? I was ninth, yep, last year. And the year before that, I was uh, 16th, I believe. So working in the right direction. 
100%. Yeah, like making that progress moving up. And I was saying to you this past weekend that I kind of picture myself as being about like a year behind you. You totally are. Yeah, so this year I finished 10th. So you finished 6th this year. So next year I'll finish 7th. So I can I already have my compass. So you're, you're my in, yeah. right now. So that's great. So I already know like, so. as far as the scoring goes, like as my understanding that like is it after the third place it really becomes um the, the scoring becomes very very close as far as like you know like the the num- the, the, the points you're going to score within that race. Yeah, it's the top 4 are heavily weighted you just accumulate way more points for those top four. And then for whatever it's reason, four. it's the top and four then, one. And five really drops off and the point differential is only one uh, for every place after that. But there's bigger point gaps if you're in the top four. So it really rewards a big performance. If you go and pop one good race, uh, that can really bump you up in the standings. Um, so it really rewards, yeah, the top, the top finishers. Okay. And, and how close were like the, uh, the, the I guess there's top five because I imagine those top five were, were popping off some top four finishes quite a bit just to kind of stay in the in the in the mix. You couldn't finish top five if you did not have a top four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Season, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that is that kind of Even even you, you were at a top five. So the top six that finished in the series all had a top four at some point. We all right? did, right? Yep, yep. And that's kind of what it took this year. Yeah. Um. So yeah, by the time that by the last race. The guy who won in Brian Atkins, he, pr- he pretty much had it wrapped up because he finished first or second, right, in, in every race. <laughs> so, yeah, the winner, Ryan Atkins, he did not finish worse than second in any race. So he won by like 100 points. Yeah, and, and there was a bit of a shakeup between two and three. Um, the guy who was in second had named Brian Kempson um, needed to hold off, needed just the guy who was in third or fourth at the time, Johnny Luna Lima, to just not win the race. Yeah. And Johnny Luna Lima did win. So there was a shakeup between the top two. So there was some movement in the top five coming all the way down to the last race. There actually was. There's a lot, actually. There was like three position switches, which is a ton. So, yeah. Do you think that was a good system? Like, just to kind of digress a little bit into this, like, do you think that worked? Like, I, I do. I think it was a little bit drastic. But the, the thing I like about the system is I think it needs to be refined. But what it led to was this, it led to the fact that like, even in the fifth and final race of the series, like it still could allow a shakeup to happen. Mm-hmm. Whereas the old point system, we basically went into the last race as a formality being like, well, we already know our places unless anybody really, really has an out of character performance. Whereas like this year you go in and, and places could really dictate a change up in performance. You know what I'm saying? Like it made yeah. the race more exciting. It made the la- each race more impactful if you understand what I'm saying. Um, and it did, it, it opened a lot of doors in the last race that wouldn't have been opened if it was the old, you know, one point system. For sure. And, and the sport is so wildly variable that things can go wrong. Like unlike any, like a, a running sport, usually if you are one of the top three fittest people, you're probably going to finish in the top three. Um, yep. But with this, just things can like our buddy Luke who sprained his ankle or there's, like the spear throw that can just go wrong and it can change things. So from an entertainment value, it kind of makes sense too, because I think they do want to get eyeballs on the sport and it's just another way just to kind of keep things fresh and make sure that like they're, um, that it can have some sort of interest. Um, well, cool. So let's dive a little bit into the actual nuts and bolts of the sport and, and a little bit of training. Um, Kirk, I'm on here. I wanted you to come on and talk about some of your expertise. You already mentioned how you consistently have climbed the ranks over the years. Yeah. Um, and what a lot of people see when they see these races, you know, it's it's 
running and there's those fun obstacles like monkey bar type obstacles. Um, but to me, I feel like the biggest actual obstacle is the terrain of the race. Um, so just for the people listening, could you give pe- give them an idea of what the terrain actually looks like um, for these OCR at these OCR venues? Yeah, I actually, I very much agree with you there. I think the, the largest obstacle in most of these races is the terrain itself, whether it's, you know, climbing up a jagged mountain on single track trail uh, with big rocks and boulders that you're literally climbing over at times too. Um, Spartan and OCR loves to, let's say there is a trail through the woods that looks nice to run on. Spartan likes to not use that and just put you right through the middle of the woods. Yeah. Logs <laughs> and tripping over crap and you end up looking like you just got out of a war zone when the race is done. So what it does is it, it really Spartan racing and OCR is really good at breaking your rhythm and running by nature is a rhythm, a rhythm, let's say building sport, you know, you get in that rhythm and you can really just kind of find your spot and go and OCR throws all that out the window. And um, that's kind of the appeal of it. And that's also the challenge of transitioning from a runner to an OCR runner, because you know, your rhythm, you know, your pacing, well, that all means Jack now. So um, anything from the swamps to the mountain peaks, rivers, everything, you're going in it all. Yeah. And that's like, the one thing when I first started that was super frustrating because I thought my fitness level was there. And then all of a sudden I was literally in the middle of the woods, like without a trail. Like, so I think of trail running, like John, you think of like the Wissahickon or something up here, um, where it's single track trail, but this would be like, it just takes a hard left and then yours in the middle of the woods. So I thought that was really frustrating. Mm. At the same time, it, it is also like, wow, like I would never have gone to here. I would have never tried to go over these rocks to, to get there. So, um, John, have you ever done many, many like trail races or anything? No, not really. Like I was lucky enough to live by the, uh, a pretty nice reservation, um, called South mountain reservation up, uh, in yeah, North yeah. Jersey. And, you know, I, I would, I would stick to the, to the, to the bridled trails, you know, like the, the, the cut trails I would never, but you know, I did see, and just being in that area, see like a lot of, um, you know, just the sport grow quite a bit because he had, they had a lot of, a lot of races around there. I've actually never done like a, a legit trail race. Um, right. They, they, they doubled in size since I've, um, I'd say most of my trail running has been, um, in camp and college. <laughs> oh my God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Right. John, you've been, and you've been running since you were what, like a freshman in high school. Yeah. You know what? It was, it was insane to me. Like just my experience with trail running was, but I had uh, lucky enough to run with Scott Jurek, who was, who was, um, with uh, Brooks for a while. And one of the things I realized, I was like, yeah, I'm going to go out and I'm going to hammer Scott today. <laughs> that was a pretty good shape. I was just joking around. But like the thing was, the thing about him was what I didn't see coming was he could run down the hill so fast. Oh yeah. Like, he was so efficient going down. I couldn't like, I would, I would look down and look up and he was gone. And he didn't look like he was working all that hard. And that really opened my eyes to like how important it is to be good at running downhill. And, and then we kind of talked a little bit about that too. So, yeah, we just learned about that this weekend, didn't we, Rich, as well? Sure, running, sure downhill, running downhill is, uh, is a skill and it's worth working on. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. And I would love to kind of dive into that and touch base on that a little bit. But um, so, Kirk, when you came into the sport, the like what was your experience like in your first race like did you know it was going to be like this did you know like where was it and like how did Um, that go it's a good question um 
Well, my first Spartan was in Chicago. I don't know if you ever raced the Chicago venue. And when we say Chicago, these Spartan races are an hour outside of the big city on some big piece of land. So it was a Chicago yeah. race, but we're not like, you know, in the middle of the street here or anything. Um, and it was nothing like I expected. I'd never really done trail running like we're talking about. And so they put us in the swamp and I was up to my, uh, my crotch in swamp water, <laughs> pulling my shoes out of the mud. And I was like, what running in grass that was over my head. Like I couldn't even see the course markings. And I was like, my mind was like completely blown. Um, so I came from a, you know, pretty much a road running and a track background, just like most, so it was, a, it was an interesting transition. And I was disqualified for my first sport <laughs> because I, I didn't uh, know what one of the obstacles were. And I just decided to just run right by it. Not well, what, what was it? Oh, you're going to laugh. I, I, I ran right by the Atlas carry. And it was like, nah. Just blew. I was like, just blew right by it. It's like, I don't need to carry that 120 pound ball. That's stupid. <laughs> did you see it or did you just not? You're just I like, saw flags, you know, but I didn't see any. I didn't know what to do there. I was so green. So I got disqualified. Yeah. <laughs> How were you doing? Were you doing okay? I finished fourth behind Killian, Gawiski, and Mike Ferguson. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so like I, I'm not in the results. Yeah. 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 Not in the results. Yeah, yeah. Basically, basically banded it. Do, do most guys come from running and then get, get into like, get it, or, the better, like the good guys, I guess, for the lack of a way to describe it. Uh, I don't know. What do you think, Kurt? Yeah, I would say, I would say two thirds of the top guys in our sport have a strong running background as in um, collegiate for sure. And someone on post-collegiately Olympic trials type um, I mean, we have like triathlon champions, Ironman champions, but then we also have some like really like, came from a mountain biking background and then they left that and found running and um, picked it up from there. But I would say, wouldn't you say maybe two thirds of the people who can really hustle in our sport running background, the other two thirds, great athletes found running a little later. I would say. I'd, I'd say that's fair that have some sort of running background, but as far as like people who have like an elite running background, I don't find it to be that many. And I feel like that kind of like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't feel like, like Kirk, I feel like you're some of your athletes are the best. You were an all American, um, in the 1500. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Ryan Woods was a, um, all American in the 5k, but I can't necessarily think of too many other that were kind of running at that level. Well, I, th- you know, there's a lot of second tier guys, actually. It's funny, not all the top, top 10 guys, but most of like, you look at the top 20, like 10 through 20, almost all of them have a running background like a yeah. real running background, but I think some of the top ones are exceptions. But if you look at guys like Killian, he has an endurance triathlon background. He was running a ton for a part of that. Johnny Luna Lima, Tyler Veerman, those guys all ran. Um, well, Tyler Veerman did. Johnny Luna Lima had a soccer background. I guess maybe maybe you're right, but I would still put my money on two-thirds of the top 20, ran probably in a bit post-collegiately, if you yeah. back that far. Yeah. I, I'd say it's fair. And, but, like, it's um, – we talked about this a little bit over the weekend, but how – the elite runners because from the outside i know when i first got into this i don't know what your mindset was but i came into this as a high level endurance athlete and i thought everybody out there doing this was not a runner and like i thought it was just going to be a breeze and i thought i was getting into this sport early and (laughs) my fitness was just going to be able to carry myself to do well just because um and it didn't. It didn't at all. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it did not. It didn't work that way. And so I feel like a lot of the elite runners, are like or people with that type of mindset who might have not done anything like this, kind of feel the same. Um, what do you think stops like these runners who are 
you know, Olympic trials or Olympic hopefuls from like coming in and doing well, because you feel like some people would try, there's money here, there's an athlete, it's an athletic endeavor, it's a competitive outlet, but you don't really see that many people that are coming from like Olympic hopefuls to then OCR to the dominating OCR. Well, you know, once in a while we do, and they seem to come for a race or two and they get smashed and then they, they leave. You had Joshua McAdams last year, who was an Olympic steeplechaser for a couple time Olympic steeplechaser for the U S came to a couple of races. Um, I think his best finish was ninth or eighth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. He was just top 10. You got people like JP Donovan and other people who are world-class either trail or mountain running champions, a U.S. champion or gone done Western States and have taken top whatever, but then they come and the dynamics of what I think OCR demands breaks the rhythm enough and it's just a different. So I think some have come in and then they're like, you know what, I'm going to stick to what I know I'm good at and they kind of bolt. And then Mm -hmm. I think some are just, you know, the one thing Spartan is not is it's not time oriented and running is all about pacing and splits and time and setting PRs Mm -hmm. that way. And Spartan isn't really because courses are different and it's irrelevant. So I don't know. I think that might be part of the reason too, but it's hard to say. Yeah. Yeah. I think that makes sense. And with, uh, and, and it also changes the training, right? Like it, like you have to adapt to being sports specific and train that way to, to some extent. And people with running backgrounds, they, you know, they want to run miles, they want to run tempo runs, they want to run like a high level of like intervals and, and be within a certain pace range. But um, that's not exactly the optimal way to train for this. And, um, and Kirk, you, you come from a running background and then you're also a personal trainer, a highly regarded personal trainer out of the Twin Cities area. Um, yeah. So you know what you're doing as far as strength is concerned. And I think when I first met you, you said like you were explaining your background, you're like, yeah, you know, I was a runner, I was an All-American in 1500. And then I was just kind of a meathead for a couple of years. And then now I'm an OCR athlete. <laughs> and that's I, was very like, accurate, Rich. I was like, well, that seems, that seems <laughs> to be the, per- the perfect combo there. Um, but so with, with the, the actual challenge that we kind of agreed on being the terrain, like how did you learn to prepare for these events? How did you get away from the endurance training or just the gym training and then kind of yeah. to prepare specifically for these races? Um, fair. Well, you know, I, my training now is, you know, I've been in the sport for three full years. I think I'm on my fourth year, which is crazy. And that's like, that's like, OG. that's like old school in this. Sport I now. know. Right now, suddenly it feels <laughs> like, but I train so differently now than I used to, but you want to know what the interesting thing is, is that if you took what I was running, let's say in a 5k road race three, four years ago, I'm still running the same times today but I would kick my own ass once you got me on the Spartan course because of specificity of training. So I don't think my speed has gotten any better, but my ability to endure redlining and coming in and out of it, like OCR requires has gotten a ton better. So, um, so the shift in training was mostly from, I would say flat running focused on splits and pacing to um, running focused on like the intangibles that can't be measured as well. If that makes any sense. Um, what would be an example? Um, an example would be, I, I kind of describe it as this to people. So let's say you're running a 5k. Okay. And you're running five minute pace for your 5k feeling pretty good. Let's say you trip on a rock and get back up. Is it going to be easy to go right back into five minute pace? Or are you going to feel a little compromised? What do you, what do you think? John thoughts? I mean, I certainly think that there's going to be, it's not going to be as easy as you might think. So let's say you trip 10 times in your 5K. 
<laughs> and still are trying to run five minute pace. How do you think that's going to go by the third mile? I mean, you're uh, taking that, you're obviously taking out the idea that like while you're running, you're still averaging five minutes. Cause if you trip, you're like, attempting to, yeah, you're attempting to. So you're going to get back up and get right back. Like to you, five you minutes. hit your watch, you get it back up and hit your watch so you can check your split. Yeah. You're right here. Yeah. I mean, the, every time you, yeah, it's, by the 10th trip, you're probably, you're maybe running 5.30 pace. You're feeling sorry for yourself. You're hurting you're just dropping out. you're running five-minute pace. The point I'm trying to make, and it's a weird way to make it, I guess, is like <laughs> every little the, – the difference like every little thing, you jump over a log. You have to pull yourself up a rope. You're carrying 100 pounds of sandbag. You start the race, and you're a 15-minute 5Ker. Somebody makes you go over monkey bars and climb a rope. Now you're a 15, 10, 5Ker. Then somebody makes you take an 80 pound bucket carried up a mountain. Suddenly you're only a 1545 5K. By the end of the race, you're a 20 minute 5K and you come sucking wind in because you're not prepared for what those obstacles do to your running. The difference now is that I can go and carry a stupid bucket up a mountain and I can go right back into my five minute pace. Before that would blow yeah. you up like you cannot imagine. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And from the outside looking in, like, like I. So I, my question was really like, all right, so do you have runners and then they learn to do obstacles or do you have like somebody who would be really good at obstacles and you teach them the run? And from where I'm sitting, I would rather take like somebody who's like a really good CrossFitter and then maybe teach them how to run because they're going to have fitness. Um, that, and again, I could be completely wrong, but it almost makes sense because as a runner, like you're saying all this rhythm that it takes to be a runner Mm -hmm. everything that I've known for the last 25 years about running seems to get thrown out the door. I tried, I, I was in uh, running and I'd gotten a triathlon. I did my first triathlon. I thought I was going to go out just like I thought I was going to run Scott jerk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he smacked me around. I got, I went out and did my first triathlon and I, I just, it was like, I could, it was like, I never even ran before, you know? Yeah. And so I, I can imagine to me, that's, you know, what it, what it's, like how it's like almost not even like the running, it's not even considered running. You know, you have to look at the whole thing. And, and uh, I would think that you would want to take somebody who is like, like I said, that really star CrossFitter and then try to maybe teach them how to run than the other way around would be. But again, I, I would say that your triathlon experience would be as close as I think you could get to like your first OCR experiences. By the time you hit your run, you felt like a pile and your legs and efficiency were gone. And you're like, what happened, right? Is that how you felt? Yeah, like respect level went up. Like, that, I used to make fun of my friends who were doing it, and I'd be like, oh, whatever. Like, I hop on the bike, and by the time I get to the run, I'm going to run like, yeah, I'm going to run so fast, I'm going to catch all of these anyway. And it wasn't, I, I mean, you know, I got out of the swim, and by then I was already mentally out of the game. <laughs> but wouldn't you, that, Rich, wouldn't you agree? That's a version of what I would say a first time Spartan athlete or OCR athlete would go into. Feeling it's going to be much different, but a different version of the same thing. Yeah, hundred percent. Like your tripping and falling five k analogy is actually pretty spot on because it is just like frustrating. Like you, like I didn't realize I wasn't going to be able to get to my fifteen minute five k ability and hold that like you would in a five k or ten k where you get to that spot and you just push that red line and you just hover there for as long as you can. You're 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 get to it and then you have to come back down and like you can never really quite take advantage of your your fitness it's um true. it's so true and i i thought it sucked the first time i did it i was like that was bullshit like this is not a race like this is lame um but i held on um but Kirk, what, do you, what do you think about what john mentioned like i get what you're saying because it would 
because runners kind of have to undo that. They have to take what they think they know about endurance and kind of back it off. Just kind of how you learned with triathlon. It'll be like more sports specific where a, a CrossFitter, they are, they basically train in um, multiple modalities to move in and out of training fast. Yeah. Um, so Kirk, what do you think? Do you, would, do you think that someone coming from a CrossFit background is better suited than a runner or is it easier to get the runners to do, to, to learn the um, obstacles? Um, I, yeah, I'll have to disagree with you, John, on that one. Just know yeah, again, I'm, a, I'm perfect. I have, I, it's, it's interesting. It's an interesting, like logic you were using and I can totally see it, but how often is a CrossFitter aerobic and how often are they anaerobic? Well, a CrossFitter is predominantly anaerobic if they're doing some high, high, high intensity stuff. And, um, you know, our race is anything in the championship seasons, one to three hours. And if you don't have an aerobic base. If you haven't laid your foundation to your pyramid that way, I think it's harder to make up time there, you know? Um, and, and OCR train OCR is still 90% running 90% of the race. I mean, this last weekend, we went an entire mile without seeing an entire, an obstacle. That's a mile uphill. That could be 15 minutes of running straight. It was forever. It it was a long time. So, so it's a little hard and, and you, you only need to be so strong for the sport in the sense that if you can do what's required of you, like extra muscle and extra strength is just a burden. So, so I think it's, I think taking somebody with a running background and trying to transition them, I think would be a shorter process. Now you could take somebody and try to build an aerobic base over years and build capillary beds and all that garbage. Um, But that just takes too much. It takes more time than it would take to take a runner and help them learn how to move through obstacles, give them some grip strength and work on their pull movements. That's just my opinion. I don't know. What do you think, Rich? Yeah, I think it just takes a long time to develop that aerobic capacity. You know, it's just work and time on your feet. Um, and like you said, a CrossFitter, any CrossFitter who's not like a games level athlete, they are pretty much anaerobic. Like the top level guys can do these movements and stay aerobic, but most people are not working on that. And, and that's the, the big hole that is CrossFit. But it is interesting to think of it that way that, that you're, you're not, that you are used to moving in and out. And I've used CrossFit as a tool to training. Um, 100%. Yeah, usually in the off season, I'll, I'll do that just to kind of stay sharp and, and not get too comfortable running miles. Um, but yeah, the, it, like the runners are going to do better. <laughs> and I would say mostly, on, and too, because of body weight, um, you can be 180 pounds and jacked and strong as you want to be. Um, and they may get on a bike and crush it. But once you got to carry your own body weight around, like it's just too much. You'd have to lean them out, thin them up. If we're talking like a high level CrossFitter, but there are exceptions, man. There's always exceptions, you know, changing my mind. So. Yeah, yeah, I guess you're right because like now that I think about it, watching some of these really, you know, froning and some of these, they're they're big guys, and again, again, just like not knowing enough about the sport, and maybe it, it kind of makes me think, maybe it's a marketing opportunity just from a runner. Like to me, that's what would scare me the most about doing my first one. You know, is like I don't want to embarrass myself on that part of it, and I'm just not it, runners. Let's be honest, like just they're just not strong. Like you know what I mean, yeah. like strong, strong. So I think yep. it's intimidating. Um, with that said, like, what would you guys do to like, here I am, like, even just take me for instance, like, where do you start? Like, do you just start doing burpees like every day or do you, uh, <laughs> like how did, like, wh- wh- where does it, what does it look like? It's a good question. Um, it would depend on what you're doing for strength work currently, but part of me likes to throw, like give you a few, just work on your grip strength to start in simple things, go to a rock climbing gym, go to a Ninja warrior gym and just start playing around. That's the first place you would start. And then I would throw you uh, under the bus and have you sign up for a race and then go learn what you need to work on. Like, mm-hmm. like, Hey, go check it out. Like just go in with no expectations and get your ass kicked 
And then you're going to come out and go, holy crap, that part was hard. This part was hard. And then we dial in. But I would work on your pull strength. You'd be hitting a lot of pull-ups, a lot of pull movements. We'd work on your grip strength, which would be from dead hangs, maybe do a little Ninja Warrior type training, not that specific, um, and start there. That's what I would do. Um, and I, was hoping, yeah. I was hoping you are going to tell me how to avoid the, the get my ass kicked part, but it doesn't Well, that we will. We will. <laughs> I think that, you, like that humble experience. Yeah, like, yeah no, you're right. One of us has had it in this sport that's at the top level. Like – Every one of us got done and be like, I've never felt so awful and blown up after a race than I did after my first Spartan race. And like, I can't tolerate the fact that happened. I need to go, I need to go do it again and do it better. And so it was like, everybody has a huge humbling experience. They go home with their tail between their legs and they either say, F it, I'm out or screw this. I'm getting better. And then that's where it starts for every single person. And Rich, it sounds like you had that experience um and that's like a good igniter you know that starts it but love it yeah yeah, I yeah my show was extreme um but yeah so um yeah just to kind of backtrack a little bit like the intimidation part like a lot of times you probably talk to runners who are like oh my god i could never do a half marathon i could never make there usually my advice to those people who are just like regular people that are scared of doing like a half or full i'm just like just go watch one and like you'll see the people do it and you'll be like oh i Never mind, I can do this for sure. Totally. Um, and that's the same. That's the same with these Spartan races. I mean, the marketing behind it and like the idea behind it is like really badass and scary. And like the pictures are like jacked people because they just look better with their shirts off and for marketing purposes. But when you go there and you're like in it, you're like, oh, okay, like I'm I'm the same as everybody else here. So oh yeah. Um, but yeah, that's a, that is a good question though. Like where to start? And you know, we talked about some of the terrain being real nasty, mountains being crazy. Um, and Kirk mentioned you live uh, you live in like the Twin Cities area. So tell me about like the terrain that is near you. Like you don't necessarily have a lot like mountains like Utah, right? No. Uh, the hardest transition about this sport, if you're going to take it seriously, and I think at this point, safe to say, I'm taking it seriously. You're taking it. <laughs> Final yeah. country um, is when it comes to championship season in these OCR, specifically Spartan, is they're going to put you on a mountain. And you can literally be a four minute miler and then you can go to the mountains and run a eight mile mountain race and you can take a hundredth place and beat guys that can only run a six minute and get beat by guys that can run a six minute mile. So the hardest transition, I don't know if that made sense, but like the mountains hit you really hard if you've only run flat. So the biggest key is to, to learn how to climb mountains fast and, and be able to hang with most of the guys who live in the mountains and train in the mountains. So that transition, uh, I've been kind of honing the last few years. Um, the first mountain I ever ran up was at the Spartan race world championships. <laughs> I didn't run up a hill before that. And you know what happened? I took 58th place and I was 50 minutes behind the winner. <laughs> minutes behind the winner. Okay. Wow, wow. That was a I good mountain climb. May I remind you, I still run the same 5k time now that I ran that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a good point. So um, so I've been working a lot on figuring out how to do that. So within that, and I think I've gotten somewhat honed in on, on it, um, training for mountains when you, when you don't have them and we can dive into that if you want, but that's been the biggest secret, especially is like making it as the season goes on, you know, learn yeah. how to run mountains. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like you mentioned something like if it makes sense, like being a four minute miler, getting your ass kicked by a six minute miler to me, like, no, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> I agree like, with you. I, it really doesn't. And like, I try to like conceptualize in my mind. I'm like, well, if you're training and like, you're able to, to, to train like anaerobic and, and be here and there, like it shouldn't really, but 
it does like it like it just happens that way is it mostly um, mechanics or like just efficiency because just thinking purely of like you know someone's vo2 max and they're just like the simple you know basic principles of training like you would think like oh if you're really strong and you can keep your heart rate low enough as you're going up the hill at a certain pace you know, but then what you, you guys are saying leads me to believe that it's way more than just like those simple basic principles. I mean, is it just how high you can lift your legs, the strength of your flexors? Like what are some of the things that people are looking for just in general? It's a really good, that's a really good question. And it's, I asked myself the same stuff when I was going into this. There was uh, my first year I went and raced uh, near Calgary up in Canada. I had a buddy up there. And I had seen guys posting on their social media like, oh, super pumped, just hit a, a, my 5K PR of 18.10. And I was like, well, I just ran 15.40 in a 5K, so you're done. <laughs> I'm you going to smash you. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I got beat by that guy. Got beat yeah. by that guy. And I was like, I am a loser. How? <laughs> and so I scratched my head a lot, point being. And um, the biggest key I can tell you is that if you're not even climbing up a mountain, the way they make you jump over a boulder or like switch your footing is you are literally riding like Rich talked about running a 5k and you're just under your red line and you're staying just under your red line and near the end you breach your red line and compound and home and it's over. Well, you have to train to breach your red line, come right back out, reach your red line, go back to a sustainable workable rate. And something as simple as jumping over a log or tripping on a tree root while you're in the middle of your race can spike your heart rate so much that like you have to cross and go back in and then keep working at that five minute mile pace we talked about or whatever it is. So, um, and the mountains seem to feel that way. I don't know if you agree with that, Rich, but then, um, training your body to, um, efficiently run up is astronomically different, uh, than running flat and mechanics are completely different, completely different. For example, when you're running flat, you're using gravity, you know, it's controlled falling when you're running flat. You are putting your foot in front of your other in, in front of yourself so you don't land on your face. It is literally a controlled fall if it's done efficiently. Running up mountains, it is not a controlled fall. It is like the opposite of that. It's yeah. like every, it's like you engage a completely different muscular system, which is bizarre to think about. Um, and your legs um, would feel like you they just blew up because you were forced to squat for ten minutes and then go into your run. It's a very bizarre sensation. Yeah, Do you know I, I would mean? agree on that. Like, uh, I, th I feel like the a muscle activation piece is really big that you just can't really get access to. Just how a runner isn't strong from running on the roads is the same way that they'll struggle. Like, they'll struggle doing back squats is the same way they'll struggle going up a mountain because of just like the required muscle activation that they just don't have. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I agree. I definitely agree with the heart rate thing. And that's something that I really can't figure out either. And that it, maybe it does take you above your work, your like percentage of working VO2 max. Maybe it just does take you there too fast. Um, mm -hmm. and, and coming back and, and there is something about the, the adaptability piece that just, I haven't able really been able to find much literature on it and like figure out what it is exactly. Um, that isn't just like the biomarkers that you figure would work, but, yeah, I think like what we're onto is about as good of an explanation well, as. For, for example, if I'm going to ask you to sprint 200 meters, are you going to be heel striking? Do you think, or are you going to be on your the balls of your feet? Yeah, for sure. That sprint stance getting through. Okay. Yeah, that's okay. You're you're going to be on the balls of your feet, most likely, right? Mm -hmm. Now, mountain running requires you to be on the balls of your feet for potentially an hour at a time. Yeah, right. Do you think you could run efficiently on the balls of your feet around a track for an hour, like in sprint form? 
Yeah. No, no. In a weird way, running up a mountain is balls of your feet, huge, like, like little things like that that you never think about. And once your calves are strained in that way, you're rendered useless. So you work on that piece and then you work on the next piece. And mm -hmm. um, so it's just a different, it's different. It's so different. So the bad news for the people who live in the flat areas, it sounds like practice and adaptation is really what we're working with here as best, you know, if you really want to just narrow it down. Well, I got ways around that that I've worked on, but I'm curious to hear about that. I know that I don't know if you guys want to touch on that, but I'm curious to hear um, some of the some of the things you've been doing to to try and combat the hills. Being in Florida now, um, especially, so yeah. Um, do you want to dive into that, Rich? Or no, that's that's the, one of the main reasons why I want. Uh, I was curious to talk to you. You just wrote a great article for uh, Mud Gear on their blog, correct? About some of the ways that. Um, you can train without a mountain. Um, and you've obviously been doing a good job with that. <laughs> you've done better every single year. Um, yeah. And you're a great, great athlete and a great coach. So yeah, let's, I'd love to hear from you. So what are some of the things that you've played around with? Like if you had to give John advice, who's starting an uh, OCR, lives in Florida, wants to race at Tahoe or West Virginia, um, mm -hmm. what are some things you would have him do? Uh, yeah, well, uh, the first thing, the first, the, the easiest thing to go to is like quality over quantity. So, uh, John, before we started recording, you mentioned you have a bridge you could run up and down in Florida, right? Yeah. Well, sure. You can't go and climb a sustained climb for an hour like guys that live in the mountains. But if you're training for a 5K, you may throw some 400 meter repeats in there that are much harder and faster, let's say, than race effort. And you can do the same thing with mountains. So for example, here I have a, a climb that takes me one to one and a half minutes to get up, depending on how hard I'm working. Now I need to run up a mountain for an hour, but if you increase your intensity, the perceived exertion, then when you go to race, you're going to dial back your pace and you're going to be able to sustain that harder. So doing really hard, intense hill repeats, both up and down and duplicating, taking a traditional running workout and literally doing it based, uh, doing it on a, the hill you have access to even though it's not a mountain is the first step. So let's say you want to do, let's say you were going to do mile repeats and let's say you wanted to average five minute pace. We just keep going back to that. Well, guess what you're doing at the same effort going up and down your local ski here. You're going for five minutes and you're going up and down with the same approximate effort level, both up and down. And yes, running down is very difficult when you do it right. And it keeps you there. Um, so that would be step one, convert your flat workouts to hill workouts. In a sense. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, you just, you basically, I mean, you basically have to have, I mean, I guess in most areas, like even here, there's no hills, but there are, there, you could find just something, right? So something that's going to be at least 200 meters that you could kind of increase the quality as opposed to just to kind of get those in. So would, would I do something like, let's say, you know, 10 times that hill, like two minutes and then just, you know, jog down kind of just, just interval style. Yeah. I, and I, I always go back to still my track and cross country background where like you have your bridge. Well, the bridge goes up and then it comes back down, right? The other side. So yeah. you literally, the only annoying part is you're going to have to make a complete 180, 180 degree and go back the other way in the middle of an interval, which is going to be annoying. But I'm telling you what, you're a lot better off doing that than you are training on flat all the time. So sure. You know, everybody, everybody, even in Florida, somewhere within half an hour to 45 minutes, you can drive to something more than just a molehill once or twice a week. If you're serious about your training, even if it's a 30 second hill to go up and that's where you start and you hit it hard, you hit it way harder and faster than you would be able to sustain a long climb. And that's the purpose. 
so that obviously when you get into a workable rate going up a mountain, um, you can sustain it longer than you would be able to. So you have to hit hills. That's the first, that's the first step. And you can, I mean, there's Florida's pretty bad. You're in probably one of the worst places. Yeah, it sucks. Um, <laughs> you know, my part of Florida, actually up closer to uh, Orlando, like there are areas, but they're, they're a little bit of a drive. So, you know, I, I could potentially, um, you know, find some more, but, you know, just on the day where I, and they need to get 20 minutes down the road, you know, um, it's good to know that sometimes you, you're hitting that quality versus the, the long five minute climb that you might have to, for a lot of people might have to go pretty far to, to find. And on the other side of that, I'll go to my local ski hill, which is kind of a joke. And if I got a two hour long run plan for that day, I am a hamster on, I am going, I mean, I'll go up and down the thing of, you know, 40 times and I'll just, you know, put your podcast on and forget about the fact that it's better run on a treadmill still. Yeah. (laughs) And you just, and you just start working in those zones and getting those muscles acclimated. And, you know, it's uh, eventually your body adapts a little bit to that movement, you know, how, uh, how big is your hill? 145 feet of vertical gain. The biggest, yeah. slope. how big yeah. is the biggest close hill you've got? Oh, John. So the, so parachute hills, a hundred for just reference. I have one that I have like a con like a concrete that's like two fifty. I think. Oh, oh, that's pretty, that's nice. What's the, is it steep? Like how far, like for example, but my 145 feet is in 0.12 miles. So I'm going up. I mean, it's steep. Oh yeah. yeah. So I'm getting, Uh, I'm getting real, like real steep work in where I don't, is yours gradual or steep? I can't imagine a road would be that steep. It's not that steep. It's probably 10. Like, um, John, you've done Gladwin, like the Gladwin Hill on that run. It's like that, that one is about 250. I would say it's about, it takes a good five minutes to get up. Oh, that's, so, I mean, that's great. That's a nice tool to have. Yeah, yeah, you can even make that left turn there and extend it a little bit too. Like that's not part of the, there's, there's what I think that, so would you, so would you take that? Um, is there an ideal length of time for these, like these intervals? Yeah. The longer the hill you have, the better. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like if, I had, if I had access to a mountain and I want to train similar energy systems and I, again, let's go back to Mount repeats. Okay. I'm going to climb hard for five minutes. And then I'm going to recover for 60 seconds to three minutes. And I'm just going to keep going up five minutes, rest, five minutes more up, rest. You can do the same principle, just the longer, the better, honestly, unless you're doing short, like I did 60 second hill repeats and I didn't get to the top of mine, you know, um, then you can, you can play with it that way, but the more, the better in general. And if you watch these mountain guys, they're doing, Oh, well, you're going to do a tempo run, John. Okay. Well, you're going to go out and run a 30 minute tempo. These guys are doing the exact same thing, but they're going up the entire time. Yeah. It's just literally you can translate what you do flat and put it in the mountains, like put it on your hill. That's the yeah. best step. That's honestly is. That's a good way to put it. And, and going on time, I found is helpful, especially when um, programming for people that are remote. So just being like, yeah, you have a 40 minute tempo run, just find your hundred foot hill and just go up and down a bunch of times. Cause you can't really, you can't, it's hard to really measure vertical when it comes to that or, or measure really distance at all. So yeah. just going on time and just spending time going down, um, it's definitely helpful. Um, it's true. And the biggest thing, the biggest thing that I didn't realize was part of the equation is once you go up hard, okay, that's a, that's a feat in itself. But then when you come bombing down the like eccentric loading on your quads and everything is like the the damage is astronomical. And then, so you'll bomb down a descent and then you'll have to turn around and come right back up. Do you know what your legs feel like when you try to go back up that second time? Feel like they got boat anchors tied to them and you don't know what happened. Yes. So it's like it's, yeah, practicing, that's, that's damage. 
it's, it's, so you can, you'll feel okay on the first climb, you'll descend. And that braking effect, even if you're a fast downhiller, that braking effect is still real. Then you go to go back up and your legs are worthless. So then you got to practice the, the up, down, up. So you got to practice the transition. So that's why like having a shorter hill, you can actually get a lot of good work done, especially if you push the downhills as well. Yeah. 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 And there's, a, there's like the total vertical, like a lot of times vertical gain is the measurement, but if you're going on total, um, which is total up and down, you can do quite a bit with a 50 foot, a hundred foot hill or something like that. I've got almost 6,000 feet of vertical gain on a 145 foot hill. Do the math on that. <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> well, the complexity comes in is like an effort like that could be the equivalent of like a 5k race. You know, so, oh, yeah. yeah. So it, it almost seems different and hard for me to wrap my head around what the training like on a weekly basis looks like. That's why you have to turn it to time. If you're starting to climb, you switch from miles to time on feet. You have yeah. to. Yeah, or else you'd be out like a percentage forever. of the week. Like, do you look at like, hey, you know, I, I'm running, I'm going to work out seven hours this week, you know, and of last week I did of that seven hours. Let's say I did seven hours this last week, and I'm going to do seven this week. Of that seven, I did one hour of climbing. Like, do you look at? Do you kind of look at it as a way, like a little bit more? And then this week I'm going to take it up to an hour and ten minutes, or. Is, is that the right way that kind of think about these things or is it a similar kind of a thing? It's a good question. I think it's how you're wired a little bit, like whatever would resonate with you best. For me, it's if I'm taking any, if I have any race coming up in the mountains, I'm going to make sure I'm climbing twice a week. Like that's the focus of my workout. And one might be a long, slow run where I'm trying not to get too anaerobic. And then one might be like a super high intense day, but I just, I break it down to at least twice a week, if not three times, if you can. And I keep it simple. Otherwise, we measure it actually off a of vertical gain. So yeah. we don't care about mileage. We go, yeah, how, many, how many feet up did I go this week? Mm-hmm. And like, I'll say, okay, I need to hit at least 7,000 feet of gain a week. And however, whatever that needs to look like to get there, I would say. So we actually, most people measure it in our sport by vertical gain, not time or anything else. That's what everybody talks around talks about. Huh. Yeah, I think there's a bit of an obsession with the vertical gain. And it's a good measure. And it's, and it's also good to progress. Like it's a way to... Okay, I did 7,000. I'm, I'm leading up to a peak race. Like, let's go 7, 75, 8, 85, whatever it is. Um, but yeah, I think, I think time is another, is the, like kind of how triathletes do, right? They don't really measure, that's how they measure their total work primarily, right? In hours. hours. It's hours, yeah, totally. Yeah. And um, but a lot of that is aerobic, you know? So, um, right. And this, it still would be, uh, you said it's anaerobic or aerobic, right? Yeah, it's mostly aerobic. So it's not as much of a, you know, a distinguishing between well i guess there are some intervals in there but most of the people be like you know how many like, it, it's basically based based off of hours it probably yeah. should be a little more specific um so kirk like if you were okay so like I, the best way to get better at climbing is to climb right yeah. so um <laughs> so and like for you and i like my like the the one that's in the city here in philadelphia that's the one i mentioned before but i have like a mountain it's like two two hours away like it, it's a little excessive, but I'll go, you know, but, um, say like I didn't have the ability to do those things. Um, if I was getting into this, I had a family, um, time's tight, full-time job, like, and I need to work out from home. Um, what are some things that you would do? How would you kind of, or what what do you do? What, and how do you program for others? So, yeah. So then there's the other, here's a, a number of other components. I just focused on the quality over quantity because that's the first, but there's others that work. 
First of all, or second of all, treadmills, like I hate to say it, they get a bad rap. Um, They're so effective for our sport if you have climbing races coming up. Uh, you're never running on it flat. If you got a flat run, go outside. Don't be, you know, don't be that way. But <laughs> if you need to, if you need to climb, like I have an incline trainer, a Nordic track incline trainer, that goes up to forty percent grade. Now, whoever's listening, like you know how awful fifteen percent feels, right? Try forty. Okay? <laughs> Just try forty, and then at times put like a hundred pounds of sand on your back and keep going at forty. It's it's ridiculous. But so treadmills are a huge tool that are. I don't know why they're so underrated in this sport. You don't hear people talking about them. Like get yourself a dang incline trainer. They're pretty affordable and you can go up wherever you want. And I mean, I'm on mine all the time. That's been a game changer for me. And you can do the same principles. You got, you know, mile repeats and you normally run them in around five minutes, climb at five minutes at 30%. Like it's pretty straightforward. So treadmills would be my second option. Um, a very close second, by the way, I choose to go on it a lot of days. So that would be, and even at a gym, if you can get up to 15%, that is way better than nothing. Is it like a stair climber? I, I have to be honest. I don't like a vertical it's a treadmill, like with a belt. It's the same deal. It's oh, so it's so it's not. It's but it's not considered necessarily a treadmill. Yeah, sure it is. It just goes from zero to forty percent. Oh, so when you, when you call a vertical trainer, you're calling basically like an a incline a, trainer. It just goes. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, okay. And I think it's just like what the brand, what Nordic Track calls it, right? It's just how they're they incline like, trainer. Right? Okay, yeah. so it, it's good. You're you're going to be able to get a more aggressive um, pitch on it. Yep. So I'll speed through these. And then if you want to hone in on any, so treadmill work, fantastic. It doesn't train you for the damage of the eccentric loading of downhill running, which is a whole deal you got to get used to, but it helps you climb. And that's, that's, you know, that's half the battle. So um, the other things is biking. Biking translates to climbing almost directly in the sense, the way it loads your quads, the way it loads your glutes. So um, biking actually translates really well. So throwing in any sort of biking, mountain biking, road biking, a couple times a week into your plan on recovery days, or you could even make them quality days will absolutely make you a better uphill runner. Um, and then two more would be one, what I call compromised running, which I do a lot of. In fact, this is what I think may has made me a better uh, OCR athlete. The example of that would be this. If I did literally 50 jump squats in a row and then went right into a quarter mile at like an, you know, threshold effort, and I rested 60 seconds, another 50 jump squats, quarter mile. I am running with legs that feel like they've already been climbing mountains. And now I'm trying to get at a sustainable rate of work. So implementing anything, jump lunges, jump squats, something I call a runner squat, which is one of my secret sauces, which you guys don't know about. Uh, <laughs> other things, they, uh, they really uh, translate well to climbing. So basically burning the shit out of your legs and then making yourself run hard. <laughs> Is it so it dumb it down? That's what you're doing. Uh, and that might translates really well to obstacle transitions, you know, tripping on that stump, all those things. And then the last thing is leg strength circuits in the gym, um, treating them like intervals, like, hey, I'm going to do 20 leg presses, 20 jump squats, 20 split squats, and 20 this, and get them done as fast as you can and rest, just like you would do an interval session outside running. Um, those would be all the tools in my belt uh, at the moment. It's yeah. a lot. I know that's a lot, but makes sense. Yeah. Big belt. The um, I like the idea of like the muscle activation piece. I like, yeah, John. I was gonna say there, there are some triathletes who have come into the sport and it translates pretty well. Mm -hmm. um, and bikers, the ones I've done well, yeah, yeah, bikers because the power production that they have and that and like how much they can really activate that muscle over a long time. They can fatigue their muscles for forever because you can ride for so long um, that like you're able to tap into some things where running eventually will, will shut you down that you won't get to that point. 
Um, and I like the idea of, of, again, trying to get that muscle, those muscles activated in the gym. Um, what I like to talk about a little bit more is that compromise running. I know you're a big proponent of this and, and you've spoken about this a couple of times and I know I've seen some of your training and it's like that. And this is the shit that just doesn't make any sense. Like, <laughs> just, like from a, from a running perspective and from, and this is a, a reason why I think some of the runners don't want to, to get into the sport is because they're just like, that doesn't sound fun. It doesn't sound like something that it like does make sense to their, their Arthur Lydiard training or their Daniels type training. Like you'll never find anything like this. Mm-hmm. And, but this is a new sport, right? So we're, we're trying to figure it out how to do it as we go. So um, how did you kind of come across this? Um, was it intuitive? Like how often are you doing it? Um, like how was it for your recovery? Just, yeah, just talk a little bit about that. Well, I mean, brutal when I first started, I actually, when I got into the sport, I had my frustrating first couple of experiences, as we had mentioned. And I said, well, I know a lot about running, but I don't know a lot about this. So I got a coach myself. Um, and I coached with Bracken Crocker mm-hmm. um, for a bit. And he imp- he implemented some versions of compromise running into my re- regimen. And, and then I s- very quickly realized the power of it. So that's how I got turned on to it. And then I've honed my craft since. But that has been the – and you know what? It actually makes me a better runner runner too. Like it's amazing what it does to your system. And, and the, the philosophy is this. Basically – you're one trying to spark spike your heart rate and two trying to fatigue mostly your running muscles and then still being able to go and run fast and efficiently. Um, and as a regular runner, uh, you never would need to do that. But in this sport, if I force myself to do 10 burpees and then run hard and then a minute later go into 10 more burpees and run hard, um, that simulates what it would feel like to, you know, uh, jump over a wall. You'd be surprised how much that spikes your heart rate. It sim- simulates what it would be to carry your sandbags and then get back into a workable rate. So what you need to do is basically break your rhythm while you're still trying to run at a quality pace. And at first it's going to be miserable and your pace is going to drop and fall off the face of the earth and you're going to feel like a pile. But when you work that craft and you really burn yourself up and go back into a sustainable rate of work, you can just keep pounding that um, it's amazing how it translates to anything from hills to obstacle transitions to all of that. That's been the biggest difference maker for me is my compromise running. Yeah. And like the way you mentioned it, it seems very specific, right? It would be like if you were training for a marathon and doing a 10 mile tempo run, right? It's that a tempo run at marathon pace. Like it is that thing that's going to give you that confidence to go into a race day and be like, okay, I know I can hold six minutes for yeah, this entire time. Um, so do you, do you progress those things into your training? Like, do you work them into a certain time of year, like you would race specific intervals, or is it just a constant steady, like, or is like the frequency of it uh, a piece that seems to really be helpful or have you put much thought into that? At least every other week, uh, once a week is better. Um, well, you can get away with every other week, but the problem is when you do it every other week, you get really sore every time. Mm. Uh, you'd be surprised yeah, yeah, yeah. doing that stuff like doing like plyo work and then going into a fast run like how that blows you up and then you're kind of useless for a few days afterwards yeah. <laughs> you can do it more consistency it's super helpful um one of my staple workouts that i do and i'll share it with you is i call it like ocr mile repeats and what it is is every quarter mile at the quarter mile you do something plyometric or dynamic so I'll do, you know, 15 burpees, run a quarter mile, 20 jump squats, run a quarter mile, 20 jump lunges, run a quarter mile, 20 push-ups, finish out, for example. So I've covered a mile in total. 
And I don't care what pace I'm running. What I care about is my overall time. And so when I first started something like that, I see some of my old intervals and I was in like, Christ, I was over eight minutes on one of them, you know, at, at some point now, like this last week before Utah, I did OCR mile repeats. And I think one of my repeats was 647. And that's including the burpees. That's including, I think I averaged like 520 pace while still blowing myself up. It's amazing how my body has just been able to blow up, get back to work. And not only that, but then your legs still move efficiently. And so you're being efficient when you're running once you train to be, even though your legs are feeling pretty crummy from what you just did to them. Do you get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. For sure. And like, it's just adaptation, right? It's just a classic example of doing something that's unfamiliar until it's familiar. Um, until your body has kind of come around, come around to that. And that, that's interesting that you put like the, the frequency of it. It is just, it's better to do it just so it doesn't suck more often, just so mm-hmm. it doesn't ruin the rest of your training. Like, um, but that's also how you can, you like those gym intervals you mentioned, like going to the gym, hitting it hard. Um, and I even do, I'll do things for some of the people I coach, like lunge finishers, just doing like a regular run and then just yeah. making, oh, yeah. doing lunges at the end, just to make sure that they're not even that it's going to benefit them that much, but just so that they can handle a workout like an OCR mile, you know, just kind of put, kind of building that, that volume in there. Um, yeah, yeah man. So the compromise running is, is, is a really cool concept. And, and is there anything that you're kind of think that you think about, like that you think might be the, the progression of the training for this sport or where do you kind of see it going? As far as training for the sport or as far yeah, as, because even, even like you mentioned like that, the compromise running is something that's, that, that's new and you've kind of honed in. So as the sport continues to grow, I feel like there are going to be different ways where us as coaches and athletes kind of figure out the best or a better way to do things. Yep. Have you put any thought into that? Have you thought about like in an optimal world, like what would that look like? I just think that with this, with the sport, um, this, the way I can simplify it the most is it's about running fast when your rhythm is broken constantly. So in any manner in which you can do that, do it. And I don't care how that looks, but you need to be, we're, again, you need to break your rhythm and not just break your rhythm by like, oh, I'm going to stop and my rhythm is broken. Like you're going to stop and then get beat up and then have to keep going. Like, mm-hmm. so just, so just evolving the rhythm breaking component is the key. That's my honest opinion. And if you can break your rhythm while also fatiguing your legs even more, like if I made you run a mile, do a bunch of barbell squats, run a mile, do a bunch of barbell squats and still get back into the same workable rate, the same concept. You just got to be able to break rhythm Get in that rhythm may even increase your heart rate, by the way, when you break your rhythm and then get back to it. That's, it's very simple. That's the key. That's in my opinion. And I think that's just going to keep evolving or new ideas will come forth and how to do that. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And I think it makes sense that like people are going to start doing things in between these transitions that we didn't think possible, like running 440 pace in between, you know, shit like that. Like we're going to get people that are going to get so conditioned and so talented and have uh, been trained for this that that I, I think would be something that really does kind of. I would encourage, do you, is there mostly like runner focused listeners to the podcast? Would you say probably listening to this? Yeah, probably. I would encourage anybody just for fun, just to amuse yourself. I would say like on your next run, like every three minutes, stop and do 30 jump squats. Just do jumping jacks. Actually do anything. Just do something every three minutes that isn't running. But like run, go right into it, go right back to running and just see how it feels. You'll be shocked. And also then it, it really helps your 
rate of or like your level of perceived exertion when then you just go out for a steady run. Suddenly a steady run feels like butter because like you're not ruining yourself every so often in the middle of it. And that seems to be helpful too, oddly enough. Yeah, that, that's a good way to put it. And it would be interesting to see if someone who was tr- straight up training for a 5K, like if they were to put some of these elements in a little bit more, but maybe with uh, obviously some more like 5K specific things. But if they put this strength and compromise running or hill type running involved and see how that kind of changes things. Cause I feel like there's an avenue there for actual roadrunners to really benefit from this type of, of running as well. Yeah. Do you, um, do you do any compromise running currently? Uh, I know John, I assume you don't because based on what you're training for, but rich to you. I, I, I did a lot more of a focus on that when it was in the beginning of the year where we had those flat races and the actual moving in and out of things with speed was really important. Um, and as the, the seasons kind of shifted toward mountains, I've really kind of had to dedicate a lot more of my time to, to putting in yeah. volume there. Um, but now as, now as we're getting into the like peak season, I'm going to start introducing that a little bit more. Now that I feel like I've gotten a good mountain base in me, now it's going to be a lot more of doing crawls and burpees and fucking lunges and, and carries in between. Um, I like the idea of doing carries cause it just makes me feel like it's the best way to get the most tired, you know, and then just, and then like running again. The sports kind of just how many hits can you take and keep moving? Well, it's really- yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's interesting. Like it make, cause the running has gotten so popular, right? If you guys hear like babies in the backgrounds, because you do, <laughs> my, my, my twins are awake so they're usually uh but anyway it's daddy daycare and podcasting it's just the way it, the way it goes these days that's life uh but um you know there's not a lot there just isn't a lot of science like scientific data and and really research that's done on a lot of these subjects right so it's it's um with running there is a lot like you know there's been so many years of a all right hamilton um there's uh there's just a lot there's just a lot of it like you know, when it, when it comes to VO2 max and some of these things you can do. Um, but even just strength training and how it, how it helps your running, like there isn't a lot of like hard data, like, you know, that it does, but you just don't know to what extent and how, and like, should you be doing Olympic style lifts, like, like CrossFit or should you be doing like, you know, so it's, I think it's really hard to navigate. It seems like it's very similar in the OCR world where it's just like, you can't just go out and buy like train for an OCR book. And I think in a lot of ways, that's probably why Rich's services and, and yours are, are pretty much going to be, I think in high demand because people are going to be like, Hey, I want to do this. If I'm going to spend the time to do it, I might as well like do, do it with somebody who's, you know, made the mistakes and kind of, um, you know, I guess like have some sort of guidance. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. The interesting thing uh, for perspective is this, though, if you think about you think about this is do you ever look at like the list of like highest VO2 maxes ever recorded? Like, do you know who holds those? And, and VO2 max is only one part of the equation. But, you know, it's not a, it's not runners that hold the highest VO2 maxes ever recorded. It's just, it's like a lot of the skiers, right? right? Skiers, it's yeah. rowers. And do you know why that is? It's because it's because it's forcing them to use their upper and lower body simultaneously, demanding more oxygen, forcing forcing their body to adapt, and yada yada. You get the point. And what OCR does is, if by by training a certain way and forcing yourself to use more than just your legs in a mostly aerobic fashion. Um, it can do odd things like people's VO2 met markers have gone up by simply changing to compromise running, for example, like throw bun- it's, it's throw burpees or anything else that demands more than just 
you know, strong firing from like your quads, glutes, and hamstrings and calves, and you'd be surprised what it, what it does. So I, then there is some studies out there on that now, I believe like, like the more uh, recruitment you're, you know, involving with your aerobic activity can create like increased VO2 maxes. Um, so the point of that is saying that maybe some sort of training for OCR compromise running or versions of that can actually improve VO2 max, which could then translate to better run performance. If you keep that run efficiency, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's where like, I just started, like, I know it works. Cause I, as soon as I, and I think anyone can do it. It's just like, you know, having the quantifiable and just understanding it and see how they, because you know, when I, I think a lot of us, like we, we ran, like that was what we did, you know, and be like, why, why would I lift? Like, that sounds stupid. <laughs> like I'm, yeah. I'm running. Yeah. Um, but just like kind of figuring that all out, I'm excited to see where it's all going to go. For sure. And that's our job is because like the science will lag behind what the coaches and trainers are doing. So that is our job to kind of push that forward that's um, true. And, and kind of force that force the, the hand of other people to get getting the results. Um, yeah. Yeah, man. So I got to run here in a little bit, but real quick, man, I'm, I'm curious to hear about after you've had a couple of days to kind of digest the, the weekend, how are you feeling after the season? I'm feeling good about, I really am feeling good about the season. You know, you can't, how do you look back on a season that you overall performed your best in your, in all of your years and complain? So I can't complain about it. I think it went out on a little disappointing note in Utah. I was hoping for a little more and I, I dropped from fifth overall position to sixth. <laughs> there's know, like one thing that couldn't happen john that couldn't ha- oh yeah Go ahead. And, and and it happened <laughs> so kirk kirk was in fourth or fifth for the majority of the season right yeah um and then it came down to the last race um which was at altitude we talked about that john how it's just like a rough go but uh oh yeah can you just not show up and not and not like and hold your spot (laughs) no i would have had to show i would have had to like finish like third you know 30th or better or something to hold my spot unless there was like a special scenario that happened and that scenario happened so yeah one of the guys yeah so the guy that was behind me in sixth tyler veerman uh had the had the best race of his career and took third and we talked about how the point system rewards the top performers and they gave him just enough extra points to – I had a 16-point lead on him, and uh, that all went bye-bye because of the point-weighted uh, system. So I dropped from fifth to sixth. He passed me, um, which yeah, could be on him. On him. I, he, he, you I'm know. not convinced. I mean, you guys are part of it, but I'm not convinced. It doesn't – at a certain – at that point, like, you're sure it's exciting, but at the end of the day, if you had the other point system, you probably would have won. Um, actually, well, I would, he would have beat me anyways, actually. So it would, it would, I actually would have finished in the old point system or this new point system, the exact same, oddly enough. Oh, uh, is that right? Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. Cause he, he, he was just really close in, to, but just never cracked that top four, right. Four until the very end. Yeah. Um, but but I, yeah, about it, I think, I think the big thing is. Uh, to keep climbing. I'm a little heavy right now, not chubby, but I just, I can't lose my muscle mass from all those gym bro days and I need to get rid of some of it. So maybe trying to do a little bit of that and, and, and experimenting with ways to go to altitude. I know people, you know, they give you a hard time when you're like, Oh, I live at sea level and the altitude really affects me. And they're like, stop your whining. And I'm like, well, it's real. So why don't we just talk about it? Like it's physiologically real 
So I, I true around that either go early and adapt, like go two, three weeks early and try to adapt for the world championships or just know that I'm going to go in feeling, com- you know, feeling yeah. a little compromised. So that's, that's it. And I think like the people that are like, Oh, well, like I don't, I'm at sea level two. It's like, yeah, well you still live in the mountains, you know, like if you like, okay, like we don't have mountains or altitude. So we're trying our best here. <laughs> We're doing our best. We're just <laughs> doing our best. For Ten minutes after the race, about the altitude, and I'll move on after that. Yeah, just let just let me let me focus on how I couldn't breathe twenty minutes into the race, and then yeah, I was like dizzy at the top. I was like, I don't think I can run anymore. I think I'm gonna have to not because I'm tired, but I'm I'm like scared. <laughs> isn't it an interesting feeling though to go like to be working so hard and going so slow at times and being like, what what is that? It's a really interesting feeling. Feel yeah. like, feels like you haven't run in two weeks. It's a bizarre, bizarre thing. Yeah, because I thought, I, I, yeah, when I think about the race, like I feel like about that first climb, I was like, man, I thought I felt like I had so much more. And then, like when I put myself back in that moment, I'm like, nah, that, <laughs> that, was, that was what I had. <laughs> and if you put that race, if you put that same climb at sea level, like at a maybe an eastern race out in the Appalachians or, or Adirondacks or something, um, you probably would have climbed that first climb five minutes faster. Literally, yeah, in studies show three to like three to eight percent decrease in high level competitive performance when you're above like five or six thousand feet. Well, what does three to eight percent equate to time wise when you're racing for an hour and a half? That's a lot of time lost. Yeah, when it's a slow climb too, like it's not it's not so, three to five off of a five minute mile. It's a fifteen minute mile, you know. Right. So that adds up. Let's five, let's say five percent on a fifteen minute mile is what I don't know what that comes out to, but it comes out to a lot of time. It's a lot. <laughs> I know it's a lot. You're bleeding time, brother. So yeah, yeah. figuring that out's always an interesting piece too, but working on it. We'll work on it. We'll figure it out. Get a get an altitude mask, a tent or something like that. And then or we'll figure out a way. I was thinking about the same thing, trying to get out to altitude before the big races. But um yeah. but Kirk, dude, I gotta run, man. I really appreciate you popping on. This is super informative. Yeah, man. Um, yeah. so appreciate it, Kirk. Is there any place um, people can find you if they want to learn more about this? Uh, I mentioned the, the mud gear article on their blog. Um, but is there any, anywhere people can find you as far as social or anything? Um, yeah, it's my name. My name's Kirk D Wint, uh, K I R K D E W I N D T. You can, just look, it. Me up. You can look yeah. me up on Instagram or my website's uh, Kirk Dewint.com. There's some more stuff on there, but uh, pretty simple. Sweet, man. Well, I appreciate it. So, um, All right, squad. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks, guys. All right. See you, guys. Cool. Well, there you have it. That was Kirk. He was super, super informative. I've learned a lot from Kirk just by being around him in these race settings and have implemented a lot of things he, he preached about to myself and also to some of the people that I coach. And, and they're definitely proven, and he's uh, absolutely a testament to that with his outstanding race performance. So um, again, please rate and review on um, the podcast. Subscribe to get this directly into your feed. Check out our Run Faster Guide, uh, reinforcedrunning.com backslash get faster. Check us out on social. It's reinforced underscore running underscore rich. We're reinforced running on Facebook. Check out our private training group um, to get the scoop on all the latest and have some direct coaching availability to you right in on our private Facebook group. Okay, cool. Until next time, I'll talk to you then.